Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We're in Genesis 26, so take your Bible, open it up there. So Isaac lived in Gerar, verse 6. Gerar actually means halting place, which is interesting. The famine was regional. It probably included Gerar, which, is, which was Philistine country, kind of on the border of Egypt and the promised land. But Isaac parked in Gerar. And interestingly enough, the second blunder of his own dad was at this place. He lied about his wife again. He didn't learn from the Egypt situation in Genesis 12. So in Genesis 20, when he's faced with Abimelech and this situation, he lies about it again. And God came to Abimelech in a dream and said to Abimelech, that woman is married and if you touch her, you're dead. You want to talk about a dream? That's a dream. Get up and have your cornflakes a little early and you know, try to find this guy. Say, what's going on? And in both instances, unbelievers had to rebuke mighty Abraham and say something like this, why did you lie to me, man? What did we do to you? And the response both times was, I was afraid. I didn't think there was any fear of the Lord here. I thought you people were going to kill me. My wife's pretty. And so the unbelievers had to rebuke the believer the father of the faithful was rebuked by two pagan kings. Ever been there before? Ever had a boss who's an unbeliever have to call you to account and he or she was right? Ouch. Yeah, it hurts. But those are good life lessons, aren't they? <laughs> we have great promises, but we have to walk in the promises. We need to respond. Go all the way to 2 Peter 1 in the New Testament all the way getting close to Revelation. Second Peter 1. The promises are God's, but there is a response that we have as believers. And we shouldn't be making, you know, uh, sometimes people make these false uh, distinctions, which I don't see in the Scripture. Look at Second Peter 1, verse 3. This talks about God's promises in our response. Second Peter 1, 3. Seeing that his divine power, God's, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he, God, has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, and certainly Abraham and Isaac had those, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. We're not little gods, but God lives in us. That's the essence of the verse. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. 2 Peter 1.5. Now for this Reason also, because you have these incredible promises and calling from God, applying all diligence in your faith, supply, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, 
having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Turn back to Genesis 26. There is a response to God's calling. I called you, my laws, my call, but Abraham obeyed me. Abraham did what I told him to do, not perfectly, but certainly consistently. You and I, brothers and sisters, have a response to God's call in our life. It's not going to happen by accident. We're going to have moments when uh, you know, God is making that call more and more clear, and it is for us to respond to that call with obedience. There is no substitute for obedience. Obedience is largely where the blessings are found. Now, sometimes we get blessed and God you know, does things even when we don't pray for them, but God wants our obedience. And so God says, I'm going to bless you. Just stay here. It'll be cool. And so it's looking good for Isaac until we read verse 7. <laughs> when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. The sins of the father, like father, like son. I don't know if Abraham told Isaac the story I don't know if he warned him, hey, son, a couple times. I went to Egypt. I went to Gerar. Here's what I said about your mom. She was mad at me. But God was faithful, right? Don't do that, okay? But in a moment of pressure, when God had just promised him, he said, I'm gonna, your descendants are going to be like what? The stars. You're going to have so many. It's going to be incredible. And in the next moment, what does he do? He acts like God never made that promise to him. He acts like he's not even a believer. You ever been there before? You come out of church, you pull out on a river road, someone who's not driving to your liking, then you realize you have a sticker on your car. It says honk if you're part of Sunday school. <laughs> Living Truth Christian Fellowship. Yeah. Peter had a moment like that. He had that revelation from heaven, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus lauded him, commended him, and then the next thing he became a spokesman for Satan. And Isaac does the same thing in fear. He let fear drive his response instead of faith. And when we face famines and fears, sometimes we respond in our flesh. There's three F's. When we face our famines and fears, we respond in the flesh, but we ought to respond how? In faith. You might just try it once. <laughs> it's a bit of a joke, but, but really not. Because we get stuck in patterns. And so when we get confronted with something, we say, she's my, she's my sister. She's what? Yeah. My sister, no, she's not. And this isn't even a half lie for Isaac because remember, there's, there's a family relation, but I don't think it's a half-sister relation. And so he was afraid to admit who she was, and he wasn't trying to protect her. <laughs> he was afraid they were going to kill him. Boyce says, it's a strange thing. God has appeared to Isaac to say that he would bless him he said that he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
that he would give him all the lands promised to his father Abraham, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Yet here was Isaac worrying whether God could preserve his life among the Philistines' territory. Strange, yes, but no stranger than our own failure to trust God to care for us. God says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. And it came about when he had been there a long time, so he stayed at Gerar in Philistine territory, that Abimelech, I'm not sure if this is the same Abimelech that dealt with his father, because this is about 80 years later, so it's possible that Abimelech is a name like a pharaoh, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. One writer said, whenever we're uh, being a phony about our Christian faith or we're doing something wrong, inevitably an unbeliever looks out a window and sees what we're up to. And he looked out the window and this is a play on words in the Hebrew. This is actually a play on Isaac's name. And if you have an ESV, it says he looked out the window and saw them laughing together. The Hebrew word actually means that they were kind of sporting around, being playful with one another, but it did not look like a brother and sister playfulness. And the Hebrew word can imply a caress or a playful, intimate kind of response where they're hugging and perhaps even kissing. And when Abimelech looked out the window, he went, oh, I don't think that's his sister. And he saw Isaac caressing his wife. And, uh, you know, after they were there for a long time, they got a little bit lax. They had fooled the people for a while, but now the truth came out. One writer says, if you're disobeying God, don't always think it will take God to expose it. He may, but if he does not, the world will find out eventually and probably quite quickly. If you disobey God, there will usually be an unbeliever watching from some window, close quote. We're to be people of truth. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter four for a second? Ephesians 4, truth is the way of the new nature. What God wants you to become is a man or a woman of truth despite the inconvenience of the circumstance. The world is known to lie just about everything if they need to get out of something. That's not who we are. We're supposed to be people of truth. And it can be hard to break some patterns in our lives, but that's what we're called to do. So look at Ephesians 4, look at verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, Ephesians 4.22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Ephesians 4.24, and put on the new self which is which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, this is what putting on the new self means, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give, give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. You're a new person. 
but rather let him labor performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Now regarding speech, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for what? Edification, that means building up. It's from the idea of edifice or structure. According to the need of the moment that it may give what? Grace to those who hear. And here's what's at stake, brothers and sisters. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And this is directly related to telling the truth and speaking words of edification by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we play it false, we grieve God. When we, when we hold on to bitterness and when we let the sun go down on our anger, when we speak words that have nothing to do with edifying but have everything to do with tearing down, we are being people who are reflecting the world and not Christ. Now sometimes a tough truth can build somebody up. It might hurt them, but your intention is to build them. But in many cases, if not most cases in life, back to Genesis 26, when we say something, we should ask this question. Before the mouth opens and the tongue begins to flutter, ask this question. Is this edifying? Is this in the best interest of this person? Is this to love my spouse as Christ loved the church? Will it truly edify them? Or am I just doing this to tear them down, to make them look bad? to make myself feel better. Well, in moments of crisis and famine, that's when we get tested. And Abimelech, verse nine, Genesis 26, called Isaac and said, behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, I'm sure a bit sheepishly, because I said, lest I die, lest I die on account of her, to paraphrase, why did you lie, Isaac? And Isaac said, I was afraid. I let fear dominate me, even though he had the promise of God. And Abimelech said, the unbelieving pagan king said, 2610, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have, what? You would have brought guilt, the Hebrew word is asham, upon us. The word means offense, guiltiness, trespass, or sin. You would have brought sin upon us. Can you imagine this? The pagan king says to the son of promise, you might have brought guilt upon my people by lying to us. Isn't it amazing? Even they have a sense that adultery is wrong. Even the pagan king knows that if a man sleeps with another man's wife, that's wrong. Many Americans, I don't think, have that same morality anymore. Sorry, but it's true. But the pagan king knew it, and he was afraid that there would be uh, some sort of consequence if somebody had done something to his wife. And maybe he heard the stories as well about how this Hebrew God doesn't like it when things like this happen. See, this is all kind of intertwined. And so, when David cheated with Bathsheba, finally God sent Nathan the prophet to the king David. And Nathan told him a story about two neighbors, and 
Many of you are familiar with the story and the, the basic idea is that the rich neighbor took the one little ewe lamb and killed it for his guests and you know, he had everything he could have chosen from all these flocks and he took the neighbor's one little lamb that was kind of their pet and killed it and served it to his neighbors. And when Nathan the prophet tells the story to the king, David's enraged. He's mad at what this man did. But then you remember what Nathan the prophet says to David. He says, you are that man. And when David heard those words, he said, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die, however. This is 2 Samuel 12, 13 and 14. Because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. Heavy. But what Nathan's message was is, yeah, God is going to be gracious to you, David. But don't think there's not consequences when this kind of stuff happens. Yes, God will forgive you if you do something as a Christian. If you went and robbed a liquor store after this Bible study, and I pray that nobody does that. But if you did that, and you got caught, and you go to jail, and you ask God for forgiveness, would he forgive you? The answer is yes. Are you getting out of jail? Probably not. God will allow us often to swim in the consequences we create. I know that's not happy news, but we all know that's reality. And so just because we have the blessing of God and we're children of God, it doesn't mean that when we behave as you know, uh, not lights in the culture that there isn't an impact on the unbelieving world. In fact, there are some unbelievers sitting around dinner tables tonight talking about stories from 20 and 30 years ago why they saw some hypocrisy and that's why they don't go to church anymore. Some of them are still hanging their hat on stories like that because they watch us live a contradiction. Now, thank God for his grace, and we don't want ever, ever, ever the world to think we've arrived, but you know, this man, he rebuked uh, Isaac, and Abimelech charged all the people, saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. God is good, though, right? All of a sudden, the pagan king is protecting now uh, Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. That's how good God is. Now, Isaac sowed in the land, in that land, and reaped. This is verse 12, Genesis 26. He reaped in the same year a hundredfold. This is amazing. This would be an incredible crop in a good time, let alone a hundredfold reaping in a time of famine. This was a miracle. And the Lord blessed him. And the man, that is Isaac, became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. The phrases that should leap out on our Bible pages are that he sowed and he reaped because we know that they appear in the New Testament. And the Bible says, God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will what? Also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will have the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap what? Everlasting life. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says to the Corinthian church, He's addressing giving. He says, he who sows sparingly shall what? Reap sparingly. He who sows generously shall reap generously. The principle from farming carries over to the spiritual life. Here's what it simply is. If you, re if you sow 
a good amount of seed, you're going to reap probably the equivalent harvest. Whatever you sow, you reap. If you sow to the flesh, then you're going to reap that equivalent harvest. It's true. This is the principle in the Bible. The Bible does not teach the law of karma. Please, Christians, don't say karma. It doesn't teach the law of karma. That's a new age philosophy. That's, has, that's all connected to reincarnation and whether or not you're coming back as a princess or a fruit fly. <laughs> that's not Christianity. Christianity does not teach reincarnation. Christianity teaches you have one life, you live it, and then the judgment comes no second chances. You don't do this again and again and again. But the Bible does teach a law of sowing and reaping, and that is this, that if you sow and you invest in spiritual things, they end up coming back to you spiritually. It doesn't always mean financial blessings, but sometimes it can mean that. But it means that you're gonna reap what you sow. You sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind, you sow to the Spirit, and he blesses. For he had possessions, 14, of flocks and herds and a great household. So the Philistines envied him. They're like, what's up with this dude? This area is in famine, and this guy's got bumper crops coming left and right. What's he doing? Have you ever had a non-Christian ask you about that? I remember when I was coaching baseball, many of the coaches in the Little League thought that I had some extra anointing on my Little League team. And it was true. In fact, I'll tell you one story. This is a great story. I'll never forget this story. We were in a tournament. Some of the coaches had this notion that I had this special extra blessing. They were even afraid to play my teams. And we were in a tournament game. Everything was on the line. And this team, uh, I think we were tied with them, and they had a couple runners on, and our right fielder had just made an error, and uh, we were in deep trouble. It was the bottom of the last inning. And so one of our dads said, we need a triple play. So the kid who had just made this terrible error, the balls hit fairly deep to him. He made the catch, threw to the plate. The guy was tagging from third to win the game. The kid slid over home plate, but he never got his foot down, and my middle son, Nathan, caught the ball, dove, tagged him. He was out. The runner had gone from second to third, was thrown out by Nathan, and we got a triple play. I was about this high off the ground, jumping up and down. Praise the Lord! <laughs> and the other coaches on the other end of the field were like, where does he go to church again? It's good. Hopefully we're the envy of people, not because we're walking around strutting around like, yeah. But because people look at our families and look at how we're calm in certain situations. Look at how we handle adversity. Look at the wisdom that flows out of our lives and they say, wow, that's pretty cool. What is it about your family? What is it about the way you guys approach life? Now, all the wells which his father's servants had dug 15, in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Now, when people envy you, it doesn't mean they're going to come up and ask you to write a parenting book. 
<laughs> That's not how it always works. Some people may say that, but other people will just try to stop up your wells. You know what I'm saying? They will try to do some dastardly stuff to get in your way. And you may be experiencing that tonight at your company or in your school. God's been blessing you. And there's other people that are around you that are not happy about it. They don't like the, the flow of blessing that's coming into your life, so they try to stop it up. And so they did. They filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. You're too powerful for us. Get out of here. It really makes you think deeply, Oscar, when these kinds of things happen. And I think Isaac was probably a better man for it. And I'll just say this, since we've all probably been there to one degree or another. When, whenever something like this happens, it, it can become a launching point or a turning point in your life where all of a sudden you say, well, Lord, you know what? Obviously, I've got some growth to do here. And I want to be a good witness at work or in the sports program or with this group of friends. I don't want to be inconsistent. I want to reach out to them, but I don't want to give in or compromise around them. And look, we've all probably blown it in this area. And all I would say is use it as a launching point to get better. I think that's a key point. Yeah, the main decision is that who did you decide to follow? What did you decide to believe? You believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, all that he's done and all that he's doing for you. And our job is to um, not just hold these graces and gifts for ourselves, but to share them and encourage other people. And as such, you may have gone out and perhaps given a word of encouragement, offer to pray for somebody, offer to witness to somebody as well as minister um, to somebody in need. And that one little stepping stone we may have slipped off you know, from a bad decision because we are fearful of men and what they think or what perhaps they may do to us is what I don't want to say ruins, but kind of questions in the world, in the side of the world of what our alliance or who do we believe in and put our faith in. And Oscar, you can think about the, the fears. Okay. What are the fears? Well, sometimes it's, I, I'm going to fear as a new Christian that I don't fit in with my work buddies or my old high school or college buddies. Sometimes people listening to Christian radio and going to churches every week end up partying on the weekend. Mm. They feel regret. They make mistakes. And then they have to face the fact that they've blown their witness. And um, there's a lot of situations out there. Sometimes we do something that we're not supposed to do. Maybe nobody else saw, but we know. And the Holy Spirit's been convicting us. And the question is not whether or not you've fallen. You know, if you've fallen, you can't change that. But the question is, what are you going to do with it now? And I think for Isaac, he still, he still saw that God was going to bless him. God had his back because of God's grace. Mm -hmm. But these are also... Uh, what another one of our pastors often says, Oscar, teachable moments. Mm -hmm. They become teachable moments to say, okay, this is an area I really need to shore up or I need to change something here so I can be a more effective witness to that watching world. And what's interesting here is Abimelech you know, looked out the window, he saw Isaac caressing Rebecca and he's like, she's your wife, man. Yeah. You know, you told us a story here. And when we let fear drive us instead of faith, this is what happens, but we are still wrestling with the flesh. Fear is one of those things that we, you know, we, we have been given a spirit of fear, Oscar, but sometimes we give into it. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.